Here at HorrorOasis.com, we are advocates of the horror genre and strive to amplify underrepresented voices in the horror community. This space is for indie artists to promote their work. Please enjoy your stay, and hopefully it's not your last. Spacefaring researchers disturb an ancient horror. An enchanted object curses a grieving widow. A haunted reel torments a film student. A murder trial hinges on a chilling testimony. Howls from Hell. A new horror anthology from Hal Society Press. Stephen Graham Jones calls it quality horror by true believers who can write. With a foreword by Grady Hendrix, Howls from Hell unveils the horror writers of tomorrow with spine-tingling stories from P.L. McMillan, Shane Hawk, J.W. Donnelly, Lindsay Ragsdale, Amanda Nevada DeMille, and others. Available now in paperback, ebook, and audiobook from Amazon and most other major booksellers. Howls from Hell. Welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's HorrorCast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead. We resume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. And guess what? It is June, which means it's Pride Month. Keep your sights on our website, deadheadspace.com. It is spelt how it is sound, one word, where we will be hosting articles from LGBTQ authors such as Eric LaRocca, Bree Morgan, and T.C. Parker. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are talking to the author and the proprietor of Weird Punk Books, Sam Richard. Say hi, Sam. Hi, y'all. Thanks so much for having me on. Very excited to be here. A pleasure. And you know what's really exciting is talking to you after we both read about a week in now uh eric laroca's am i saying his last name right is it laroca or laroca i think it's laroca but it might be laroca i guess i've never asked him <laughs> <laughs> well i guess we'll uh find out eventually when one of us asks him but for now let's just say laroca so his um we need uh, things have gotten worse since we last spoke that I, I, I flat out told him, I'm like, that's a masterpiece. And one line I'll say from my review, and yeah, audio listeners, uh, Brandon just held it up. One of the greatest covers I've ever seen. This is like got Clive Barker cover and all over it. And that is, to me, the highest compliment I could give someone. Um, I just said, basically, my first line had Jack Ketchum and Clive Barker had a book baby. That would be Eric LaRocca. I'm basing that off of that one book. But I know of his other works, and 
hey, if I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand on that hill and fight because I think that he's fucking great. So we get to talk about that after. I'm getting ahead of myself. I just had to get that out there. But let's just talk about the first question, which is what got you into horror? Oh shit! Uh, I've kind of been a horror fan for my entire life. Uh, so my dad. If he listens to this, he's going to try to dispute this with me. He just did this to my sister and I like a couple of weeks ago. He was like, you were not seven when you first watched Friday the 13th. Like, I swear to God, we were like seven. Like my dad, at that time at least, like did not give a shit. We kind of got to watch whatever we wanted. And so I was, I don't know, just able to start consuming horror media that was probably wildly inappropriate, for sure, at least some of it, at a pretty young age. And... It was one of those things, you know, like so many people when you're that age, it was both very enticing and very frightening. And instead of just being afraid of it, I was like, no, like I kind of, I want more, I want more, I want more. And it spawned like a lifelong love of the genre, uh, which, you know, for a long time was for me mostly centered around movies. Uh, But then I've also been like an avid reader for a really long time. I feel like for a lot of my life, like my teenage years and into my kind of early 20s, it was like reading a lot of transgressive literature, reading a lot of outsider literature. That was the stuff that really pulled me in. It's, you know, like Kathy Acker and William Burroughs and J.G. Ballard and uh, uh, George Bataille and like all that whole cast of like weirdo writers on the on like the fringes of literature and it wasn't until my kind of mid-20s that aside from a few things here and there that i really started reading horror and then was like okay like i was kind of assumed it wouldn't be as good as the as the movies you know i was never no jade but i was just like i read some stephen king when i was young and it never really grabbed me like obviously everybody loves him and i no shade like he is where he is for a reason, but it just, for me, it wasn't what I was seeking. Mm-hmm. And then it was like finding other things, finding Jack Ketchum and finding Kathy Koja for me was a huge, like, right. She's on that line right between horror and those transgressive. Oh, for sure. I was just talking about. So it was like finding the stuff that kind of appealed to me, pulled me into the horror fiction side of things, as opposed to just being a movie fan. Yeah, that's that's kind of my deal too, man. And Brennan, please jump in in a minute. I uh, when I was a kid, it was goosebumps for me and um, the show and the books. Um, and I was eleven or twelve when I started really getting into slasher films, and uh, it was the big three: man, Freddy, Jason, and Michael. Um, did you did you have a favorite as a kid? Because I knew. Right off the bat, for me, it's Michael. I don't know why he creeps me out the most. I think I was always drawn most, like, of those, of kind of the big three slashers. I was always uh, Nightmare on Elm Street was the, I think specifically because, like, the first movie, like, watching it back, you know, as an adult many times, it's so relentlessly surreal in those those dream sequences, especially, like, the part where she falls asleep in school and her friend's body, like, in the body bag the legs lift up like someone's dragging it away it's like like that shit it feels like it's something out of an italian horror movie from the 70s which is also my bread and butter as an adult but i was just kind of always drawn to like the weird shit that's why weird punk is weird punk and weird horror because it's like the weirder end of the spectrum is what i want and i am a big halloween fan i love john carpenter but like 
just in general. But as a kid, it was definitely like fucking Nightmare on Elm Street movies are so weird. I think the first one, and um, I'm not going to say one's scarier than the other because they're apples and oranges, but Wes Craven's New Nightmare and the first Nightmare on Elm Street were my two favorites as far as like scariness goes. But if we're just going with an overall, I have fun the most with this one. It's number six where Tom Arnold and, and Roseanne are in it. <laughs> That's great. I think I'm like, if we're talking series as a whole now, three is probably my favorite. Three is just so much fucking fun. But still, there's something about that first one. But even like as a kid outside of the slasher movies, there were a lot of other like, like Sabbath of the Fox Devils, right, is super influenced by small creature horror films, which are absolutely my bread and butter growing up. And like specifically Ghoulies is like one of my all-time favorite movies and has been for a really long time. But, you know, Gremlins, The Gay Critters, like all that weird shit, too, is just like that. I was really into that growing up. And nothing has changed, but those were some of the movies I really cut my teeth on at that age, too. And then Sleepaway Camp as well, which is very problematic, but, you know, <laughs> it truly is. But I have an association with it from a young age, you know. Yeah. Uh, Brennan, go ahead, man. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk more about weird shit. Um, so you you mentioned that you know a lot of the formative writers uh, were transgressive fiction, um, and uh, some of the names weren't familiar to me, but um, Burroughs caught my attention. And you know, full disclosure, I I have tried Burroughs. I don't care for him. I can't get into it. So, uh, but you know if. If going to school for music taught me anything, it's that even if I don't like something, I really enjoy trying to understand what the appeal of it is to like a broader audience. So I want to know like what specifically Burroughs or on a larger scale, what draws you to authors like that? Sure. Uh, specifically with Burroughs, I think he caught me at just the, I mean, weirdly, I was pretty young, but like kind of just the right age, like 13, 14, finding that, learning about I've always been really into how artistic movements and artistic communities overlap and influence each other. And so it was like getting into punk got me into the beats and Burroughs, you know, because they were so influenced. And you have like the direct connection of like Patti Smith and Burroughs knowing each other in that kind of New York scene. And so it was just this like a lot of people I'm into mentioned this writer, like this weirdo writer and kind of largely just this group of weirdo outsider writers like the beats were uh and so i read a lot of the beats at that age and they're like i still definitely like some of it but for me like burroughs is the one that has sustained like a lifelong love of and i really think for me in terms of my relationship with his work is how truly feverish it is and it really you know it's not some of it has narrative especially the earlier stuff like Queer or junkie have a pretty straight narrative, but you start getting into Naked Lunch and then uh, uh, like Western Lands and Cities of the Red Knight and that trilogy. And it's there's all sorts of cut up stuff in there and there's all sorts of stream of consciousness. And it almost feels like these horrific vignettes uh, strung together through really dense language. 
And I don't know what it is, like something about that just greatly appealed to me. Uh, and it was challenging. It's still challenging. I haven't read any of those for a number of years, but I did for a while there because I'm, you know, this kind of asshole. I read Naked Lunch like, I don't know, eight or nine times to try to understand it. And that was like a decade ago. But uh, just there's something really compelling about it. And I also think I was sort of taken in at that age, too, by the myth of the man, you know, this legendary outlaw queer writer uh you know then there's definitely again there's like in hindsight there's a lot of problematic stuff there like him maybe not actually accidentally killing his wife and you know but it just at that age it was like this guy is this guy is the size of texas you know in the world he's just stands tall as this really bizarre figure and i want more of that and that kind of led me into i think an appreciation I don't feel like I fully comprehend that stuff either. You know, it just, but I like atmosphere as in terms of all, I think like the vast majority of the art I consume atmosphere is like my favorite thing. I listen to a ton of black metal atmosphere is like black metal is all about atmosphere. I listen to a lot of post-punk all about atmosphere. I like like Fulci movies dripping with atmosphere. I like weird writers who have, Tons of atmosphere. It's always been a lifelong pursuit. Even the visual arts. Like, I'm a massive Max Ernst fan. I have a Max Ernst tattoo. He's my favorite surrealist artist. He's probably my favorite artist. His paintings are atmospheric as fuck. Francis Bacon, super atmospheric. Like, that shit just... I don't know. I'm pulled to... It's that thing where, like, you know, maybe a straightforward narrative or a narrative that's hard to follow doesn't necessarily matter if I'm like connecting with a work on a different level on a level where I'm appreciating for how it makes me feel versus how the story is being told in this straightforward way. And that's like one of those things that works for some people and doesn't work for others. And like no shade. I don't feel like it makes me particularly smart or special. It's just <laughs> something I'm into and I've always been into. You know what? Um, I get to jump in with a book that, May you made me think of just now with everything you just said, which is Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange. Like that's one of the best fucking books I've ever read. Like if there's a top ten, it's going somewhere up there because it's just it's it's so out there. And the reason for words such as like they use the word horror show it's so fascinating why he uses it and it's so universal like it's relatable now but it's always people are always going to be the same man they're always we're always going to be fucked up and doing terrible things and abusing you know great technology like we do with social media and i'll keep it at that but like (laughs) it's it's a beautiful time to be alive because it is the age of information but we abuse it um with petty trivial things now hey let's get smarter as as a species you know so (laughs) i'm getting off on a tangent but it kind of relates with a clockwork orange um with the whole it's just super weird and it took a little bit for me to catch up with it but once you catch up with it you're like come in i think you know for me that was when i read that in high school but i haven't revisited it but I remember that one, just the way the language is used does make it really hard to approach it. You yeah. know? And that's that's like most of what I remember about it was being like, 
that this is written in a really strange way, and I'm not sure I know what's going on. <laughs> it's it's a, it's really rewarding once you finally like because I had to reread some stuff, and it was one of those books where it's like, yeah, this is definitely worth fighting through the struggle of of adapting to it at first. Brennan, have you read that man? I have not. I've seen the movie, uh, not in a while, but never that never. I don't think I even have the book. I you know what the only reason I have heard of the book was because a friend of mine that is a fellow reader um she's like you gotta read this i think i think you'd like it and normally just because i got a billion other books i want to read i'm like oh okay i'll get to that but i never do not not even like maliciously or whatever but um it just i I read it so she gave it to me and i'm like all right (laughs) i never saw the movie though and i know stanley kubrick was uh in charge of that, so I don't know why I haven't seen that. I like Kubrick. He's another dude that described an atmosphere. Um, his scenes alone, I know that he was very particular about things are in shots and out of shots. Like I, I've seen the documentaries on The Shining in particular, and he's an interesting guy. Yeah, even just thinking about like, so I'm, I think when I was younger, I was like a really big Kubrick fan. I still like, very much appreciate him, but... Uh, I think 2001 is still my favorite of his movies. And even just in terms of the atmosphere in that, like there are big sections of that movie with no dialogue. Like the beginning is, and I don't remember how long it is. It might only be like 10 minutes or whatever before the first line is spoken. Uh, And then there's the whole crazy ending. And that's also very atmospheric, but yeah, what a like just insanely talented director for sure. Yeah, um, while we're talking about movies, when's the last time you've been in a movie theater? Uh, we went, my girlfriend Jess and I went two, last week, two weeks ago. Oh, nice. What'd you see? We've both been vaxxed for a little while, so we were mm-hmm. like, oh, we'll go. We went on a Wednesday when it wasn't super busy. We went and saw Wrath of Man. I How was that? Commend it. <laughs> you do or you don't? Yeah, come here. Uh, I mean, maybe. And like, it was really fun and probably really dumb. It's a Jason Statham movie. Uh, I saw it, and it's also directed by Guy Ritchie. But I'm like, he's fine. I don't know. I know some people love his stuff. He's fine. I did like the last movie he did, the one with uh, Matthew McConaughey. It was, like, fun. Uh, but so we, we just were like, we haven't been to a movie in a while. Fuck it. Let's go. And I thought it'd be fun and dumb. And it was like, the dialogue at the beginnings, kind of the early part of the movie when I don't want to do the whole thing, but just like there's a whole set of dialogue that's just fucking insane. It's like his first day at work and it feels like it's his first day in prison, the way he talks. <laughs> it's just like the dialogue is written by someone who's never heard a human talk. <laughs> and there's like maybe halfway or two thirds of the way through the movie, it kind of switches perspectives. And in that, perspective switch there's a fairly decent heist story about ex-military guys doing a heist and that part like the seed of that there was something really good there and they just fumble every part of it (laughs) so that's my not exciting last movie i went and saw I, you know what? When Statham was getting big, like uh, the transporter wanted to, I really dug. Like they're just—I don't mean to come off insulted, but they turn your brain off on. Yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> like, I like some of those. I 
my late wife was a big fan of the, the that era Jason Statham bad fun movie, and I definitely like appreciate them on a, on a level. Um, just real quick, the last one I saw, man, I, it was in February of last year. It was Parasite when they re released it, and I gotta go into a movie this year with something good. So I got no clue what I'm watching. I want to see Spiral. I want to see Candyman when it comes out. Tony yeah. Todd's reprising that role. That might be it. I might see Candyman. That looks good. Yeah. I think the the last movie we saw before lockdown, because we I'm a big I love to see movies in the theater. Yeah, so me too. Once or twice a month probably was the norm before COVID, like when we could. And the last one we saw was The Hunt, like right before everything got scary. And I don't know if you, either of you saw that, but that movie is a no. fuck ton of fun. Yeah, nice. Um, you know what's cool, though, about Candyman? I don't know if everyone knows this, but, uh, you know, that was based on a Clyde Barker short yep. story. And, you know, Hellbound Heart, Hellraiser. And to me, those are the two. We were talking about slashers earlier. I don't think they're really slashers, but they're they're like cousins of slashers, at least if I were to categorize them. And... um. They're the creepiest ones of, of all the 80s flicks that I've ever seen. Yeah, that, uh, I think those, like those Clive Barker movies, and obviously, like, I'm a massive David Cronenberg fan, having done a co edited and published a tribute to the man. Yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> like, the Brian Yuzna stuff, uh, and like the Stuart Gordon movies, like, that's the side of, especially the 80s horror, 80s and 90s horror, that's the side of horror that I like. We're talking American, roughly, films. Yeah. That's my shit. And I I remember seeing an interview with Clive Barker a number of years ago, maybe like five, eight years ago, and he was talking about how how different horror today would be if instead of having the, like, repetitive slasher movie thing became the, you know, like, endless sequels and knockoffs of the same type of thing over and over again for a really long time, how different and probably really exciting and cool horror would have been if it had gone in the pocket of like the Barker movies and Cronenberg and, you know, Stuart Gordon and that kind of stuff. And that'd be the launching place from where horror evolved. And we, you know, that has happened to some degree, but just not super surface level stuff. Yeah. That whole area is like, that's the shit. I love that. For sure. Real quick before I forget, well, Red Beard wanted me to pass the message along. He said hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi. Pretty hard to remember that. Yeah. Brennan, why don't you jump in, sir? I, I'm just thinking about you know what you just said about... I, I feel like streaming has kind of changed the game as far as uh, horror being completely dependent, horror movies anyway, being completely dependent on endless sequels and rehashing and remakes. Because, yeah, those those abound, but, you know, where we just had uh, a year-long period, more than that, uh, where, you know, Shudder was your go-to place for horror, um, and, you know, of course, like Netflix and Hulu to some degree, um, it, it really opens a nice doorway to get those, you know... Uh, where if, you know, the um, with, with video stores going under and those straight to DVD releases no longer necessarily happening, it, it just gives a nice avenue for something different, I guess, as opposed to getting the same old shit crammed down your throat day after day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
not really a question at all, just a <laughs> rumination. No, so, no, I think you're totally right. Let's talk about Weird Punk. Uh, so give us give us the uh, origin story. Oh, sure. Uh, Weird Punk started, I would say 2015, but technically it started in 2014 uh, by my very good friend and Wonderland award-winning, multiple-time Wonderland award-winning author, Emma Alice Johnson, uh, who's, uh, I actually saw her today. Uh, she wanted to, she'd been swimming around in kind of the bizarro scene, working with Eraserhead and working with Bizarro Pulp Press and Lazy Fascist when they were still around. And she wanted to start her own small press. And the first project she wanted to do was she approached me and she was like, I'm going to start a small press where I'm not putting out a ton of books, but just like maybe an anthology every year. Do you want to co-edit a G.G. Allen anthology with me? And so her very first book is Blood For You, a literary tribute to G.G. Allen. And this is like completely her brainchild, not that I'm throwing her under the bus, but uh, I'm not a G.G. Allen fan. I'm a very big punk fan. I'm not a G.G. Allen fan. That dude fu- was fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so her thing, her premise was like, G.G. Allen as a f- cult figure, as a human being, did not fit in our reality. He did not. He was unfit for this world. So she wanted to have writers write worlds that he would make sense in. <laughs> I don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I don't know, I think there's 14 stories. It's been a while since I've looked at it, but, you know, like Nicholas Day is in there. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of, bunch of folks are in there all writing gg allen into horror or sci-fi or bizarro worlds and that was the first book and it did pretty well you know i mean at least it sold enough and so then like we just got it came out like in 2015 it had just gotten done and she was like yeah we should give ourselves like it was a lot of work you know doing an anthology is a lot of work and she was like, you know, we just did this massive project together. We should give ourselves time to breathe before we think about what the next thing we want to do is. And it, I swear to God, it was like the next day. She was like, hey, you want to do a Misfits tribute anthology? <laughs> <laughs> and that's a band that I have loved since I was, I don't know, like 14 or something. And I was like, absolutely fuck yes. And so for that one, instead of like the Misfits aren't in it, she was like, let's have writers take Misfit songs that aren't based off existing properties. You know, so many of their songs are based off old horror movies. Yeah. Have titles of old horror movies. She's like, I'd have people take songs that they like that aren't those ones, some of the other songs, and write short stories around them, interpreting the lyrics however. It's not like direct, you know, oh, he says that this happens. So it's more loose than that. But So that was our second book. And then... Uh, she did a standalone title, and then in 2016, I was working. She was like, I want to keep doing publishing the anthologies, but it's honestly like a lot of work, and I have all this writing to do. Do you want to edit the next one alone? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. She's like, okay. So the next one was Zombie Punk's Fuck Off. <laughs> just... just Zombie. Wait, 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 stop on that. Who came up with that title? It was her again. That was 
brilliant. She was yeah, like, this yeah. is great. And I was like, yes, fucking agree. So just zombie stories with a punk element. Some of them are zombies fighting punks. Some of them are zombie punks. Danger Slater wrote a story in there that's where the guitar, like the instruments are like zombies and start <laughs> being the players. It's, and it's like that. I love that anthology. It was very fun to do. But so it was in the midst of me doing that like alone and when my wife died. And so I took essentially like a year before I came back to it. Cause I'm obviously like, I wasn't in a place to do anything, but it was really important to me that that get done. Like Mo was such a massive supporter of me as a writer and me doing like us doing these anthologies and just all of that. She was, you know, my biggest cheerleader. And I knew that if she were here, she'd want it to be done. So I kind of regrouped after a while where I felt like, okay, I can start at least moving forward with something. This is the thing to move forward with. And I reached out to Emma and I was like, Hey, I'm like, it might take me a little bit, but I want to finish this book that we started. And she, Emma was like, you know, I've been thinking and I have all this other stuff going on in my life. Weird punk has been a blast, but I'm kind of ready to be done with it. And it makes all the sense in the world to me for you to have it and to do whatever you want. And I was like, okay, well, I, I took like a minute. Like, I feel like this is something I can't really say no to. Uh, but I also had to think about it a lot processing. Like if I'm going to be running a press, which I had been kicking that idea around for a couple of years, uh, like I was going to do limited, we do a hundred and that's it. Like that kind of method. Uh, but I was like, if I'm going to run my own press, if I'm going to run Weird Punk, it needs to be more reflective of who I am. Not that I don't love doing these punk rock anthologies, but after three, I was pretty burned out on things related to music. I also like a lot of other, even music. Like I like punk, but I'm even more of a metal guy. Uh, I really like where they meet. But uh, I, I was like, if I'm going to do this, my passions are... Yes, music, but also a million other things. And if I'm going to pour time and effort and, you know, just my soul into doing something like this, I need to make it work for me. So I need to kind of essentially not exactly rebrand, but pivot the like the mission of the press. And for me, that became like the punk element of how like all of weird punk isn't music. The punk element is the attitude in which the press operates. Because I come from like the DIY kind of punk and hardcore scene where it's like about doing it yourself and building community and treating each other like decent fucking human beings. And like, and not that Emma wasn't doing all that already, but I was like, the ethos of the press is the punk part. And the books don't have to be reflective of any kind of quote-unquote punk, like, aesthetic or music aspect. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I have zombie punks done. Holy shit, I don't know how to publish a book because all I've done is editing <laughs> on these books. So I reached out to uh, Christoph and Lisa at Clash Books, who are friends of mine, and I was like, hey, this book is done, but I literally know nothing about the back end of how you do any of this shit. 
do you want to co-publish this with me? And they were like, you know, we kind of talked it through. And they're like, yeah. So the kind of first for me taking over is actually co-published by Clash and Weird Punk. And then from there, it was the new Flesh and then the, all the novellas. There's another pivot where I was like, I'm kind of good on novellas or on uh, anthologies for a while. Like, I think novellas are, it's like my favorite thing to read. Let's do that. And so that's the very long, short history of Weird Punk. <laughs> yeah, we know Lisa and Kristoff. They're great people. Oh, they're, yeah, they're awesome. I love so, Brendan, do you have a comment on anything you just said? Because I'm not, you said a lot, and I'm not really sure what to pinpoint on. Uh, you know what? Like, one of the things I wanted to talk about, you you already started launching into, and I, I love the idea of the, uh, I, we've had several people make the, uh, you know, punk uh, horror, do-it-yourself, you know, uh, build it with, you know, nails and tacks and string mentality and i absolutely fucking love that um so what what i'm curious about is when you started putting um you know when when you were kind of the sole decision maker what did you start looking for in novellas let's say when you're looking for to publish solo authors what 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 was in a book that you wanted to publish that's so actually kind of a funny like everything that i do it's all fucking ass backwards and blind in a dark room walking backwards like i i was thinking about doing novellas because again like i fucking love novellas and i was but i was like again i don't know how to do that i'd only done up to that point some anthologies and i was thinking about it like i think that's what i'm gonna do i kind of have to figure out kind of waffling back and forth should i do this should i not joe quinnell uh, the Mud Ballad, which was the first weird punk novella. Joe Quinnell is a very good friend of mine. Uh, she's one of my favorite people, uh, and she won't be embarrassed to hear that because she knows that. <laughs> uh, and she hit me up, not like as a, like owner of weird punk book, Sam Richard, but as close friend, uh, being like, I have this novella that I wrote a little while ago. And last time I read, or like, I read it a while after I finished it, and I thought it was fucking garbage, and I threw it in a folder, and I didn't look at it. And she was like, now, here we are, and it was like a year maybe later or something, and I pulled it out, and I reread it, and I went, actually, this isn't half bad. And so she was like, would you read it for me? And just like, but basically beta read it, and just let me know. If this is good, is this shit? Are there parts of it that I need to fix? Just let me know your thoughts. Because Grindhouse is opening for submissions really soon. And if it's good, I think I want to submit it to them. And I was like, yeah, I've, like, I'll, I've got the time. I'll happily read this. And like, you know, you always have those people who it's like, I will drop anything for a couple of friends. Sorry, not all friends, but like a couple friends. Like I will. No, we all got that. Yeah. Brennan's one of them for me. Right. It's, I love having that. And she is one of those people. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll fucking read this for sure. It sounds awesome. And I read it and I was fucking blown away by it. It was so good. And I knew she like she is in Zombie Punk's Fuck Off. Uh, we did Laser Mall together. Now she's in Beautiful Grotesque. Like she's 
not just like one of my favorite people. She's also an incredible goddamn writer. Uh, and I read it blown away and I was like, had been kicking around, like, should I publish novellas? And I just went, I want to fucking publish this. Like, I will do anything to publish this book. And I had recently finished my novella, Sabbath of the Fox Devil. It's like my only so far novella. And I was like, I'm going to self-publish that. Initially, I was going to, or I'm going to have Weird Punk publish it. Initially, I was going to, I had pitched it a couple places, uh, got one rejection, and I pulled it from like four places that had it. I was like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to publish. I'm going to publish Joe Quinnell's book. I'm going to publish Fox Devils. And so I hit her up, and I was like, "Hey, I loved this book. Please let me publish it." And I, I was. She said in an interview that I said, I, "I'm like, I don't fully remember saying this, but I probably did." I said, "I don't think it's probably a super right fit for Grindhouse, but I'll publish it." And I didn't mean to like, you know puncher in the stomach to get the to get the book but uh, they probably knock her, knock her down so you can build her up yeah but i you know they probably <laughs> published it but i just i fucking love that book and that was how weird punk started publishing novellas so then it was that and i did fox devils and then it was trying to figure out like do i do an open call do i i'm as a lot of small presses are i'm literally a one-person operation and at that point like full-time job in a band writing career you know i have time i want to do this i'll dedicate time to it but i don't know that i have the time to sit and read 60 novella submissions and get back to people in a timely manner like i I don't have the brainwaves for that so i started doing uh submission pitches where it's like if you have something that seems kind of in the realm of what I like, and I you know, made a whole list that's on the website, kind of what I'm looking for, uh, hit me with basically back cover copy of the finished book. Like, the book has to be done, but like how you would sell the book via the, the back cover copy. Hit me with that, let me know tones and influences, and from there I'll decide if it sounds like something I want to read for consideration. And uh, Roland Blackburn, I don't remember if I had hit that point yet but he hit me up and was like i have something i think you might like and i read it and that's 17 names for skin and that was the third one and then it just kind of and then joanna koch and it just kind of rolled from there uh yeah again sorry long story but (laughs) we we like that here (laughs) all right so you kind of led us to the doorstep with uh eric's book which we mentioned earlier and you must be over the fucking moon to have published that because everybody and their mother is talking about it right now. I mean, that book stands to be on a whole fucking bunch of end of the year best of lists. I got a question for me before we dive into that if you want to hear it. It's a good question. <laughs> I asked him this morning because I told him you're coming on and he's like, first off, oh, I love him. Or he says something, I'm paraphrasing. I was like, I love him too. So. We love you. And so it's I'm speaking for him. But anyways, uh, Eric asks, what do you do to take care of your, excuse me, what do you do to take care of your mental health when working on such devastatingly dark material? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) I don't know. It's, I feel like in a lot of ways, like, especially if, if we're talking 
stuff I've published, it doesn't really super affect me typically. I mean, because I'm reading it from a different lens than if you're to pick up a book and read it, right? I'm looking at it through a, like an editor's eye. I'm looking at it through a different eye than if I was casually or like reading a book for pleasure. So that kind of stuff doesn't tend to hit as hard when you're like a little bit removed from it and how you're reading it. If we're talking about the stuff I write, then the writing of it is the therapy for the writing of it. <laughs> uh, Brian, do you want to dive into the to Eric's book? I, I do. I'm actually, I you know, I want to talk about what you just said later, that the writing is the therapy. So I am making a note of that, and Patrick threw it to me, and I am unprepared for that. And okay, I'm good. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about Eric's book. So that the... He, he gave you, he pitched you the back cover copy. Um, I'm sure he probably also sold it to you on, you know, the epistolary format, which was huge. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing to me is I got, I don't know, say 10 pages into that. I said, and I said, I'm reading a, 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 a for sale ad for an apple peeler and I'm goddamn <laughs> riveted. Like, I, you know, and if you, if you told me that, Hey, you know, next week you're going to be reading a book where, you know, that's a, a long, you know, eBay type listing for an apple peeler and you're, you're going to be just anxiously turning the page to see what happens next. That's a, that's ridiculous, but holy shit, did he ever pull it off? Um, so what was your experience, you know, after you asked for the full manuscript, you know, reading that for the first time, what were your first impressions? So I want to go back to the pitch that he sent me first. I don't remember everything that he said, but one of the things he said was that it's like Dennis Cooper, David Cronenberg, and J.G. Ballard. And those are, like, I'm a massive J.G. Ballard fan. I'm a massive, obviously, Cronenberg fan. I'm a massive Dennis Cooper fan. I was, like, sold. Like, whatever it is, fucking sold. It was like... Again, like Ballard and Cooper are like transgressive writers, and it's a horror novel with that. You know, it's my two fucking favorite things put together. It's what I like. I always want to publish stuff like that. It's my bread and butter. Like I said, like Kathy Koja, like my bread and fucking butter. And so at that, I was sold. I was like, fucking send it right now. <laughs> but so that when he sent it to me and, you know, it took, it always takes me a little while to read things because I'm doing a bunch of shit. Uh, eventually I tried to read it really fast. I eventually got to it. And uh, I was sitting there and I was, same thing. I was like, okay, apple peeler. Interesting. I knew it was a pistolary. I knew internet kind of like message board into chat room, email, conversations and as it went and i'm sure a lot of the people who read it can attest to like the sense of creeping dread that keeps getting stepped up a level as you go and it's it's little things at first that step and then it's bigger things and it's like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck and so i think you know again like everybody like it's just a fucking blast to read I was like, oh my god, I have to publish this. This is yeah. outrageously good. He is such a good fucking writer. And yeah. also, what a good person. Which is a yeah. fucking thing for me, too. Like, I do not want to ever work 
with assholes or scumbags. I even have a whole thing in the contract. Not that like, not that it's like I won't work with an asshole because I, you know, I don't know, but like I won't work with fucking, you know, I won't work with homophobes and transphobes and I won't work with fucking racists. Like all the things, obviously, like that kind of stuff. But it's like in the contract. I won't work with predators. Like, but as a person, I also don't want to work with like elitist assholes. And so it's always really cool because like every writer I've ever worked with, uh, like, you know, for sure on these novellas and mostly on the anthologies, uh, like really good fucking people who I'm like happy to not only work with, but also call friend. Yeah, yeah. And I'll definitely echo that. I've only ever communicated with Eric by, by messenger apps and stuff like that. But he is just the consummate, kind and, you know, graceful person. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in regards to what you said about, you know, the dread building, the atmosphere and all that, the tension, I, the one part that sticks with me and I won't, you know, go too far into spoilers. I'll just say this, the part with the salamander. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, just it masterful, just absolutely masterful writing. Um, it's, it's I can't like, say enough good things like that part and the part, the baby is, part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> look, that's <laughs> like that recounting of that story is like I was like on the edge of my seat, which doesn't normally happen. <laughs> oh, man, I forgot to put that in our review, but I think Eric's going to listen to this. So I'm just going to say it here so we can hear it. That baby scene, and I'll leave it at that for potential readers. That's the closest thing that I have read since reading Jack Ketchum's A Girl Next Door on that level, um, both in tone and uh, looking at the horror itself. Like, I don't read a lot of extreme horror, so I'm not trying to knock other people that perhaps have done it on that level. But for me, what I have read, he, he was just like, I don't even want to say one rung under Ketchum. He just uh, kind of captured a lot of great writers. My God, that oh, I'm thinking about it again. Fuck yeah. you, Eric. <laughs> he's Ooh, such a he's such a sweet person, but God damn, can he write dark stuff? Truly an unnerving part. It's just it's so it's just like oh God, I know where this is going. I can see and I can't stop it. <laughs> that's the best kind of. Well, no, there's a lot of great horror, but that's a good part yeah. of horror where you just like you know what's gonna happen, and you just have to watch every second of it so i don't know what else to talk about with eric's book uh, well, real right quick, I, wanna, I wanna jump in with it we mentioned how awesome the cover is yeah and you know so you feel free to talk about that one specifically or you know cover design in generals for in general for weird punk because I, I i gotta be honest i love that one i really do but i'm i'm very partial to this one sabbath of, of the fox devils the amount of like it's you, you see a, an image of it online and it's a pretty cool looking cover. But when you when you have the paperback, the amount of detail, the shading in the background, the, you know, color palette choices, it's awesome. So, I mean, what goes into what's your process for working with people to design covers for weird punk books? I'm a really visual person. Like when I when I'm writing, uh, especially a book, like what when I in Fox Devils, I had kind of an idea of what I wanted in my mind for the cover. I even, like, from years prior, have kind of, it's a little different, but I have a tattoo that is very close to that cover because uh, it was, like, images that I've been building in my head that kind of in the, that I put into the book. 
but I, I like really good covers as a whole thing for me as a reader, as a just like again as weird punk. It's extremely important to me that covers are. And maybe they're not to everyone's taste, but that they're to my taste. And I think a lot about, being a music fan, I think a lot about album covers. Uh, and like iconic looking images, iconic, just things that grab you, things that pull you in. And a, a myriad of styles, there's so many different, really cool covers from a million different bands and different styles and genres. I, there are so many good book covers historically, and I've just always wanted to kind of be a part of that to be to release books that like you look at them and you go like that's fucking cool, that looks really weird or really cool or like captures some almost intangible thing sometimes. And so for me, the the process is really project oriented. Like, what does this project need? What kind of cover? would benefit this specific book. I, I never want weird punk books to all look the same. Mm -hmm. I never want you to see the cover and go, that's a weird punk book because it looks like other weird punk books. I want people to look at a cover and go, that cover is really cool. I wonder if it's a weird punk book. <laughs> and so it's just like, yeah, it's just kind of a weird thing that I, I'm obsessed with, really. And so with uh, Sabbath of the Fox Devil, like I said, I'd kind of been building those images and the idea. And when the book got finished, I reached out to Michael Bukowski, who did the cover art for Zombie Punk's Fuck Off. And he did the cover art for The New Flesh, the Cronenberg tribute. And he's a Philadelphia punk-like artist. He's done art for a ton of punk and metal bands. He's done art for a bunch of small presses. He's a big horror fan, too. I mean, he's like... He's amazing. He, he's so good, like one of my favorite artists. And so I knew immediately, I was like, that's who I want to do the cover. When it came to Eric's book, we kind of kicked around some ideas. That's what I like to do. Uh, very, It's very important to me that the author has a lot of say in the cover. Because uh, that's my been my experience, right? With uh, To All and Ash and Other Sorrows, with Nihilism Revised, S.C. Burke ran that it doesn't it's they're like going out of like that's why Wallow is out of print because uh, he's shuddering uh, but that one too was like I had an idea and we kind of went back and forth on it and he was very open to getting I saw in my head I knew what I needed that cover to be and he and eventually we got Don Noble to do it because he was just like yeah you have this vision let's do it and so I always want to be that for my writers like if you have a fucking vision as long as it's like good <laughs> like as we can work like we can work together to collaborate to like make a vision happen that that's really eye-catching and really cool i will like facilitate that you know as much as i can and so with eric's book we went back and forth we had a number of different ideas i contacted my friend neil who is the photographer that did the mud ballad cover because we had an idea for a rotting apple that was peeled with like, we had a whole idea and then he didn't have time. And in hindsight, and I love his photography he's an incredible photographer, but in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, it probably would have been very in a, too much of a same vein as the mud ballad. Like I said, I want them to have their own identity. So we, we talked about it kind of a lot and I was like, 
we were kind of at a like, we're not sure. There's a couple different people we could ask and figure it out, but we didn't really have a central image. And so it was like, let's look at art. Like, let's just like look at artists, look at art, try to find something that like feels like how you want the cover to be. And he found Kim Jacobson's art and he sent me the link or maybe just a few paintings. I don't remember, but I was looking through them and passing oxygen, which is the cover for the book. Now, uh, I took one look at it and I was like, this is the fucking cover. Like this, if, if we can like make this happen financially, this is the fucking cover. And Eric was like, that's exactly the one he was, you know, he had either he'd sent me the whole portfolio or some picture, like a handful of pictures. But I think for him too, it was like, this is the cover, but he didn't tell me that until I also made that connection. And it's just so perfect for that story. I think it really feels kind of the way that the book feels when you're reading it. And so I reached out to Kim who is, very kind and uh his budget they're like what he normally charges was kind of just out of reach for me and he was willing to negotiate and make it happen and then ira rat who runs filthy loot did the design elements uh for like the text and then all the spine in the back which was i i was just like here's what i'm seeing which is the same image but whited out in the text in there mm-hmm. and we knocked that the fuck out the park too <laughs> Yeah, I, that book is fucking gorgeous looking. My um, my father in law, he is not a horror fan, but I, I gave it to him. I don't even know how the conversation came up. I was just like, uh, "Hey, what do you think of my current read?" And he he was looking at that thing for a while, man. It felt like I mean, probably ten minutes went by. He's just like examining it and commentating on it out loud. And it was the funniest thing. And at one point, he goes. Oh, wait, that's her eye over there. And that's her <laughs> face, like, spread out. I'm like, yep. Yep. That's that's right, man. <laughs> and then he didn't want to hold it anymore. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw this out there. I shared this with Sam, and I shared it with uh, Eric, but I was at work when my copy came in the mail, and I got this text from my wife with just a picture of her holding the book, and it says, listen, I do not like this at all. <laughs> and my my first, I mean, I, I laughed at it, obviously. But, like, my first thought was, like, fucking mission accomplished. Like, isn't that what we're going for here? <laughs> I love that you sent that to me. That made my fucking day. <laughs> and that was my thought. I'm like, I found it funny. I'm like, oh, my God, Sam and Eric are going to fucking love this. <laughs> yeah. uh, I am. Um... It's really funny with cover arts, too, because that took us a little while to kind of land there. Like I said, we had all sorts of ideas. And, you know, sometimes the author is like, I have an idea. And that's what we do. And sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's like somebody makes some art and then there's a few revisions. That one we find the found the painting. The, the next book that Weird Punk is doing is uh, the next book by Ali Say. Uh, it's, it's called To Offer Her Pleasure. And as soon as I wrote it, I was like, I've seen exactly the image that I want this cover to be. And we contacted Don Noble, and it was one that he had designed prior but hadn't sold. And I sent it to her, and I was like, no pressure. Like, we can have something custom made. I'm happy to do that. But as soon as I read your fucking book, this, was, this cover was in my brain. 
And she took one, she like, she's like, I took one look at it and I was like, I'm pretty sure this is the cover. And she showed it to her husband or boyfriend, I can't remember. And he was like, yeah, that's definitely the cover. And so sometimes it like comes together right away and is perfect. And other times it's like, you got to work at it, but then, you know, you work at it long enough and you typically, you find the right fucking painting by a weird Swedish painter who's really cool. <laughs> So I don't even think at any point we actually read, like said what the synopsis of the story is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we didn't, did we? So basically, it's—I'll uh, just say it. It's one woman that talks to another, and um, it's just like a queer chat. Which, by the way, uh, the term queer, the word queer, like when I was growing up, that was a derogatory term. But I'm finding out, like. That's acceptable for anyone to use that term now. So, you know what, Sam? Actually, I haven't asked this on an episode, but I think this could be a moment for at least me to learn. What do you have to say about that, if you don't mind? Because I feel like you're more knowledgeable on the subject than I am. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that was reclaimed, right? Oh, okay. Nice word. Gotcha. People like, I'm, you think I'm fucking queer? Well, I'm fucking queer, fuck you, you know? <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. That is pretty awesome. Um, it's kind of like Eve Knight with a uh, was it the term the word whore with uh, her her debut book. Yeah, I want to fucking Stoker. <laughs> that's great. Well, anyways, so it is one woman talking to another on a queer website, and then the one that is selling an apple peeler, which by the way. I told a coworker who's a fellow reader, I'm like, so this guy, because I showed him my book, he asked me what I was reading. And I said, this guy, um, he does something to an apple peel, peel, an apple peeler that's interesting, and that just that that's a great that's a great writer right there. That's a sign of a great writer when you can make an apple peeler interesting. And he looked at me and said, I don't like how you said that. I'm like, nothing fucked up happens, or does it? But. <laughs> They talk about this apple peeler for a little bit. Long story short, they develop a relationship and some weird, funky shit happens from there. But I love how it's back in 2000 and um, they're kind of Eric's using the um, old format of AIM and email and and it's just bringing me back to like when I was younger and I loved it, man. It moves so quickly. And I think he could have added another 100, 150 pages. I still think it would have moved really fast. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a thing I definitely noticed in some reviews where people are like, I wish it was longer. I wish there was more. For me, it like, kind of worked perfect. But I get, you know, I I always want like leave them wanting more instead of give too much. Oh, like, for sure. For me. Um, so for me, he like really nailed that. Uh, but yeah, I for the back. I don't think it's on the back cover copy. But when we, anytime I post, especially early on, was posting about it or like talking about it, I always use the. It's like David Cronenberg and Dennis Cooper meeting in a CD chat room in the early two thousand. <laughs> That's what the book feels like for me. It's very much a melding of those, you know, like those two, those two types of stories. But it, I've now learned that I always forget, like those names don't mean anything to people who don't know who they are. So you get people who don't expect it to be at that level of horror, uh, you know, which is a thing you can't really avoid. It's going to happen, but <laughs> the way that it ends without giving it away though, is just like, 
it's so out there, but it, it's anchored in reality to the point where you're like, it could happen. Yeah. And yeah. that's what makes it terrifying. That's where, for me, that's where the Jack Ketchum reference or, or relation comes into play. For sure. Yeah, I don't think that's off base at all, I'm sure. I haven't asked Eric about that, but I'm willing to bet that Ketchum was an influence on the work as well. He texted me uh, like two or three days ago and said, hey, my mom uh, loved your review. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, he, and he posted that quote like the beginning. Um, so let's jump ahead. Unless Brennan has something else to say about this, I would like to jump ahead to Ali Say's upcoming book, which is the next Weird Punk Books release. Well, before we do that, I just want to compliment you on giving the synopsis and somehow branching off into three personal stories while giving the synopsis. That's <laughs> that's interesting. That's a new one. Um, three beers does to me, I guess. <laughs> one be- one story per beer. It's great. Um, so the, the, yeah, the, the one thing I wanted to add as far as, you know, being that perfect, leave them wanting more length. Um one of my experiences with it, and I, and I really think it is due to that length and that pacing, was getting to, it's like 110 pages, let's say, uh, getting to page like 105 and, uh, you know, beyond the tension building in the writing, getting an entire separate atmosphere of dread, like, oh, fuck, there's not enough pages left in my right hand right now. Um, there's, there's so much more resolution that I need and you know I'm I'm gripping like three pieces of paper between my thumb and my pointer um, <laughs> and I think that's uh, again that's a perfect example of just right because you know I got to that last page and just fuck um, <laughs> so so yeah I mean I, I could have stayed immersed in that world I could have I could have read a whole bunch more IMs and a whole bunch more emails and postings and whatnot but i i was i thought it was perfect uh pat if you would like to lead us in please i don't know anything about her book besides uh ali says the next author you're gonna publish so i don't even know what the title is man uh, it's to offer her pleasure okay which isn't it's not porny like it sounds <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um she had, it's a it's a funny story she had hit me up uh, with a pitch on a novella, and like Allie is great. I don't know. I've now since gotten to know her more, but like every interaction I had with her, she's so kind and so cool, and I, she's a great fucking writer. So I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to read something from you. And she sent me a book, and I read it, and it was super well written, but it just wasn't right for weird punk. It wasn't right for what I do. Uh, not like no slam against it. It just wasn't a good fit. And I was like, you know, I'd love to see something else from you in the future because I definitely would love to work with you. And she was like, I actually do have something else <laughs> down to read it. I was like, yeah, send me a pitch on it. And, uh, you know, if that's if it sounds up my alley, I'll, I'll certainly read it. And she sent me a pitch. And I was like, this sounds fucking great. <laughs> and, up your alley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she sent it to me and it's so fucking good. It's like kind of a cult horror. It's about a kid, like a teenager whose uh, father has died and his mom is kind of in the, in the grips of alcoholism. And he's basically more or less left to fend for himself. And then she, she's got a boyfriend now It's a little while later. She's got a boyfriend who's abusive to the kid kind of secretly. 
and uh, just like physically intimidating and pushes him around and stuff. Yells at him, calls him names, and he comes home, I believe, from school one day, and she's gone with her boyfriend. And he's like, I don't know if she's ever coming back. I guess I have to be a fucking adult like I've been, even though I'm a kid. I should be, able to, you know, I should shouldn't be worrying about like how I'm going to pay rent and shit. And he, I don't want to give too much of it away, but he finds some of his dad's old stuff that leads him down a kind of a cult dark path and it's really fun it's like a it's i mean she's again like ali is such a fucking good writer it's just so such like a fun read i just want to keep turning those pages and at the same time while managing to still be very fun it's pretty gruesome it's fairly it's like dark but below all that there's this undercurrent of like deep sadness to it and that like for me you know bring it on you know i fucking eat that shit up that's the kind of stuff i often write so very very excited like i was like yes i let's fucking work on this book and initially i had slated it so with doing the uh weird punk subscription club i basically locked myself into i have to do six books this year because i have 30 people who've subscribed to six books this year and I can't <laughs> let them down and it's not, it's fine. But so initially I, I, I basically have been like kind of slotting out like, you know, beautiful grotesque was February. And then, uh, April was Maria Abrams. She rules the dead. And then wait, wait, talk about that one, man, because like, I haven't heard enough about that. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I would we'll love to hear you. you talk about that. Yeah. We well, can talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, Obviously, June was Eric's book. And so for August, I had slated, I was going to do four novellas and two mini anthologies, Beautiful Grotesque being the first. Second mini anthology is a movie theater horror anthology, just like horror stories that take place in movie theaters to some capacity or another. And it's me and Joe Quinnell and Katie Michelle Quinn, because we all did Laser Mall together. And then they're both also in Beautiful Grotesque. And then we also got Brendan Benito, who's also one of my very good, amazing writer friends, and Charles Austin Muir, who's another one of my very good, amazing author friends. And so we've all been kind of plugging away at our movie theater horror stories. And due to certain just like life circumstances for a few of us, we are really behind on our story for that. It's not, it's like a few of us and it's fine. So I was like, I read Allie's book and I was like, we'll slate it for October. If that's, you know, with her, she was fine. And then I realized, like, oh, I could give the movie theater horror more time for us to get our stories done, put that in October, and put Allie's book in August. And she was totally fine with that. But so that's now the August release. And I'm, we're, we're still, like, I'm doing edits, but holy fuck. I, I mean, she's amazing. She's such a good fucking writer. I know I've said that, like, six times, but she blows me away. And I'm so excited to be working with her because, again, like, what a kind person. Uh, it's like exactly what I want to be doing. <laughs> That's great. Brian, yeah. go ahead, man. I was going to say, go ahead and plug uh, Marie Abrams' book. Yeah, so that, you know, one of the things, like, with the success of Eric's book, it's been really, obviously really awesome, but it's also like, oh, I really wish, I feel how I feel about Eric's book is how I feel about every book I've published, right? Like, 
I wish everybody would read the other books too. And Maria's book is so fucking cool and really weird. It's uh, about a serial killer who it basically it's like told from multiple perspectives, but it opens up with like one of his victims in the back of the van of his van, like tied up. And she seems kind of passe about the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I don't want to give too much away, but it, uh, you know, she might not be quite human and it, it's got like, it alternates between there's like her perspective and then there's, she's like in the back of the van with, bodies there are bodies back there with her and so how many <laughs> four. Oh god and it's told from their perspectives like before they died like it jumps through time and then there's also like police reports like news briefs like in the book and it literally every time you think you know where it's gonna go it goes a different way but not in a way that feels like completely out of left field. It doesn't make sense. Like it all makes sense. But uh, Maria is just a master writer. Hmm. And I was, I was so excited to publish that book. And I, I really want people to read that because she's incredible. And that book is so fucking fun. It's sold out on your website, motherfucker. I can't buy it. Oh, I know I have, uh, it sold out the other day. I I ordered (laughs) earlier in the week. So they should be here like thing next week. That's Uh, Awesome. Yeah, it's been hard with Eric's book has been flying out of here like hotcakes. Like I'm going to the post. I went to the post office four times in two days. Like, <laughs> and I was at the post office two other times this week. So like, uh, but because of that, there's been all these other sales, and so it was like that one ended up like I was like, oh fuck, there's like three copies left. I've gotta, you know, I gotta get more copies like right now. Uh, and then they sold out the past two days. So, so everyone at the post office knows their name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of a big deal. True. No, they they're like, oh, you got more books because I when the pre- the fucking pre order for Eric's book, right? I like got them and I packed them and then I brought them in waves. And it was like bringing like sixty books one of the times. And I Holy felt like shit. I do everything manually. Because you can't do media mail through the USPS website. I think you can do it through stamps.com, but my printer's fucking broken. So I, like, handwrite everything, you know, the envelopes. So then I have to go in and have them weigh and price them. And it's definitely, I was there for, like, 45 fucking minutes one day. Just being like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Fucking six people behind me. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But you got to do what you got to do. You know, man, I'm seriously happy for you because we've talked about the history of Weird Punk Books and it started out with you and your friend. Now it's a one-man operation. And, I mean, like, here's the thing. Every publisher, I would imagine, I'm just putting myself in your shoes, would wish for Eric's book to be with them. Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously, that's a fucking gold mine, And it's not... Even if it didn't sell a lot, it would be one of those books where I'd be shocked because this story's really good. You don't have to be a kid that grew or an adult that grew up during that time period to appreciate the story because it's two people at the end of the day, it's two people talking to each other. Right. And it's two people that care about each other and they're in two different wavelengths. And that is very relatable. Yeah, for sure. 
So let's talk about Brian. I'm 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 assuming you want to move on, so I apologize. So if you don't, please. You can't read my mind, Patrick. Uh, I'm not smart enough to read my own. Before Patrick moves on, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share about Weird Punk? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I might eventually do an open again, open for pitches. I keep saying that though. I don't actually know when it's going to be because I have a few things to read and I'm figuring out. I'll probably only do four books next year instead of six, just because six has been a lot. It's been great, but it is, you know. I want to give myself a little more time to relax. Uh, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, more than anything, like I just want to thank everybody for the support. It's been kind of a strange journey with Weird Punk because, like I said, we kind of, like when my friends started it, it was very nestled in the bizarro scene, which I always feel like I have a foot in, but, a, but like horror is my jam, but it's really like that weird horror. So it's almost like an intersection between horror in general, but then also like, splatterpunk and weird fiction and bizarro but like really the horror end of bizarro like all that stuff swimming around and trying to move very much from the bizarro scene into the horror scene has been interesting because it's a definitely a much bigger community because uh, the bizarro scene's pretty fucking small uh and you know it feels like it's taken a little while for people to kind of I don't want to say like recognize my, our greatness or anything, but just to recognize that like we exist and we're putting out cool shit. And uh, for a while I felt kind of down about it being like, I don't know, like I published, we did like several books and no one in the scene seems to know who we are. Uh, but now it's like, it's starting to kick up steam and I just want to keep that momentum going. But what I'm trying to say is like, thanks to everybody who's, who's been supportive. I feel like we have like a really solid group of, very vocal supporters and I like literally couldn't do it without all of those people. They're what keep me going on the hard days. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you sold out of the subscriptions for 2021 and correct. I did. Yeah. It was, it was cool. Yeah. They sold out, I think last week or two weeks ago, there were like a few lingering ones. It's funny because when I decided to do it, I was like, I wasn't sure if I should do 25 or 30. And I was like, because I wanted to keep it low. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to aim for the stars. I'll do 30. And then there were just like a few like empty ones for like a few unclaimed subscriptions for a minute. I kept being like, fuck, I should have done 25 <laughs> with this by now. Uh, but then those sold out. And then I had a couple people reach out even after being like, are you sold out of that? I'm like, I'm sorry. So maybe next year I'll do like 35. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Good luck. Um, why don't we talk about you as an author? Sure. What, what do you got on the horizon for your very next book? I don't know if it's a novel, novella, or collection. Uh, I have a number of works in progress. I have a novelette sitting with someone. I'm waiting to hear back from if, if they'll publish that or not. But I have... Uh, most of a short story collection done that I was hoping to submit to a couple presses this like late summer fall who I think are opening and I have two in process novellas and so I don't have anything coming out slated I wanted to but I kind of just like hit a writing wall this year I wrote a lot like the latter half of last year and then I've had kind of wavering writing so far this year. So I'm hoping to like 
get back into it and get those things finished and get those submitted. I do want to submit at least one of the novellas someplace else. I feel the like spread far, like spread the the books out and not just publish them myself. Publish them myself, kind of do like one with Weird Punk, one with someone else, one with Weird Punk, one with someone else. Is sort of what I think I want to do moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting some where I'm getting full royalties, but I'm also still spreading my name out to new communities and new readerships that different presses have. Uh, but yeah, so I have my two works, my two novella work in progress is uh, one's a super sad, uh, weird horror novella, more like very much in the vein of the Tuolo and Ash stories. I wanted to try to do something like that in a, in a you know thirty thousand word or so capacity, and then the other one is a little more on the Fox Devil side of things, where it's a uh, still has a heaviness to it and has a lot of social commentary in it, but it is uh, very blood blood soaked and splattery. Uh, so those are kind of my two bigger works in progress, and then the short story collection, and then in twenty twenty two. Uh, the contract hasn't been signed, so I don't know if I can, I shouldn't say, but in 2022, another small press will be republishing Tuolo and Ash and Other Sorrows with some additional content where they're mm-hmm. going to have a letter, a novella in there. I just, once it came, went out of print, I knew I wanted to bring it back, but I also wanted to give it some, like, let it simmer, like, let it, you know, I just didn't want to, like, oh, it sold out, here's the new edition, you know, right away, and I, I definitely wanted to add a novella to it to like that's in very much in line with the spirit of that book uh to kind of incentivize people who may have already had it to be like look you look you get a whole fucking new novella too uh yeah i, I want to talk about Tuolo and ash for a minute now yeah. uh, especially with with a re-release with some new material on the horizon now, when I went into it, obviously, you know, you you have a fantastic introduction in there to kind of let everybody know what they're walking into um, and and give background, of course, which I think is very necessary in this one. Yeah. Um, and what strikes me the most, and I'm, I'm curious to see whether I'm way off base or whether this was kind of your intention um, or or maybe how you look at it down the road here, but it, it's not at all a typical short story collection. To me, it's a snapshot of a time in your life. And one thing I love about that is that there are two stories in here, and I apologize because I'm going to blank on them, but I believe it's The Prince of Mars. I think the other one is The Verdant Holocaust um, that don't tonally fit, let's say, but once you understand how they fit as pieces into the rest of the collection, completes that snapshot. So I wonder if you could talk to that a little bit. For sure. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that was, um, honestly, I knew that that's what I wanted to do with those stories. I knew I wanted to include both of those. But I also knew that for some people it might feel kind of jarring next to basically all of the other stories. And I will say, like, thematically, they are similar, right? There's, like, loss elements to both of those stories. Like, the disillusionment of a friendship is at the core of the Verdant Holocaust, which I wrote uh, with dealing with a former friend of mine. Uh, It was kind of my way of dealing with that, but I wanted to make it super (laughs) (laughs) blood-soaked. The Prince of Mars, obviously, there's the loss component with the prince in that one. 
And I was like, I don't know if this is going to be really jarring or really alienating for people because everything else in it is so much more heavy, especially the Prince of Mars is like fucking pulpy as fuck, <laughs> which was, you know, what I was doing when I wrote it. I was like, I'm going to take Edgar Rice Burroughs and I'm going to take William Burroughs and I'm going to fucking smash them together. And it was for a Burroughs tribute anthology. And uh, I just really wanted people to read that story. And it was one of the most favorite stories I ever wrote, you know, when she was alive. So it felt like in a weird way, like that whole book is obviously about her and like me kind of not just dealing with her death and dealing with like how that affected me, but it, the book is like really about her. It's my monument to that relationship and to how much I loved her. And so it almost felt wrong to not include like her favorite story I'd ever written. Um, I know one reviewer, uh, William T wrote a review of the book for the ginger nuts of horror when it came out. And he said that it was like water in a hot desert. Like <laughs> that story after the first two was like, a, for him felt like a necessary like, okay, like I could breathe a little. I could get a little fucking moisture back in me before we dig back into the, the depths of sorrow. And so it, that is why it's placed so far forward is I was like, if everything becomes too one note of like, you're sad, you're sad, you're sad, you're sad, it's also not going to hit right. It's not going to. But it, yeah, you absolutely nailed it with noticing that. Um, that's funny that you say that about the uh, placing that in the third uh, kind of slot there. We had uh, Haley Piper on a couple weeks ago to talk about her new collection, and she made pr almost the exact same comment about having two heavy stories right up front and yeah. very, very purposefully yeah. putting something a little more lighthearted uh, at the, in that number three spot to yeah. basically, uh, you know, give the audience a little bit of relief almost, but also showcase a little variety. Yeah, I, um, I actually I listened or I watched that. I, I yeah, it was like, oh yeah, I totally noticed that she said that. Like, that's say what, so, <laughs> so you stole her answer then? Yeah, no, yeah I, just, I just, <laughs> most of my answers are answers from previous guests. <laughs> but it's funny because I I did a kind of a thing in there too, where right, like the first two stories are super heavy, and then there's that one, and then there's some definite heaviness, but some of the heavy ones in the middle aren't maybe as heavy and then the last two stories are like also super heavy they like bookended and obviously the final story is like yeah. it's like the first story and the last story are like the most soul crushing stories in there and it was really important to me specifically with death like love the final story i was like nothing can follow this yeah this, this is this it has to be the fucking end no I, I'm stealing I'm stealing this from Eric Raglan a little bit because, you know, when I, I told him I was reading the collection, he mentioned, you know, he said, let me know when you when you finish, when you read the last story. He said it's just so uh, I, I don't I don't want to paraphrase him wrong, but he said something along the lines of like, you feel like you're not supposed to be there. Like it's too personal was was that was not including that ever a consideration? Did you feel like you were letting the audience just a little too close? Yeah, I uh, I wrote that story like while I was writing that story, which is maybe over like a week, but most of it was written in like three days, like the vast majority of it. I wasn't sleeping. I was 
like going and laying in bed. So I was writing it because I knew I needed to write it. And the whole time it was like an exorcism. It was like a purge. And I would go and lay in bed and try to sleep. And I was haunted by this feeling of like, am I doing something wrong? In writing this story, am I going too far? Am I, are people going to think I'm a bad person? Are people going to take this literally? Are they going to think that this is real? Uh, I, it was really hard to grapple with that. And when I finally got it done, and the, the original version of that story is like two or 3,000 words longer. And when I finished it, I sent it to former weird punk owner, uh, Emma Alice Johnson, because she often beta read stuff for me at that time. And I sent it to her, and I was like, I don't know if this is okay. I don't know if I've done, if, it, if it's too much, honestly. I just knew that I needed to get it out. And I sent it, and I felt this, like, ball of black in, like, the pit of my stomach at the thought of someone else reading it. And oh, man. in a weird way... I knew that I needed somebody to read it because I felt that way because I was so afraid of it because it felt so raw and emotionally was so had so much of my own truth in it. Like my, what I was going through, how I was, was feeling uh, and like purging a lot of really negative shit. I, I was like, I need it to be read, even though I'm terrified of that prospect. And maybe a half hour later, I got a message from her. And she was like, okay, I've been ugly crying for 10 fucking minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I'm sorry. And I felt, I was like, anxiously had been waiting for, maybe it was like an hour later, but anxiously waiting for her to, to get back to me. And she was like, this is, like, this is devastating. It's perfect. And then she had suggestions, which is where I trimmed, uh, you know, trimmed it down some. But I, having her read it and getting that feedback definitely made me feel like, okay, like I'm onto something with this. And it's probably going to be the hardest and going to be the most uncomfortable for me having people who know me and who knew Mo to read this. And that's already been done, right? Cause she, cause Emma and Mo were friends and they like loved each other. So I've already, I've like breached the first of many, you know, passes of that. And if the reaction isn't, you're a fucking monster, <laughs> uh, like, why would you do that? Then like, I feel good about it. I feel like I didn't go too far, probably teetering that line it was really important for me in that story that especially that opening petite necrophilia segment in the fucking hospital room not feel exploitative. That it not feel salacious or, you know, like, like it did not feel gross in that way. I wanted it to feel gross. I wanted it to feel uncomfortable. But uh, I didn't want it to feel like I was exploiting her or her memory or, you know, the life we shared together and our passions for each other. 
but it was something that I needed to get out of me in a lot of ways. Like I said, exorcism really mm -hmm. does is how it feels. And after I finished writing it, I realized that that story is a thing that happens to me, especially with those grief stories. I write them and either when I'm done or like close to the end of writing them, I realize like, here's the aspect of grief that I'm working through, or here's a thing in part of being a widow that I'm working through. And that story was truly me trying to weaponize the idea of sex with my late wife against me so that I could get over her in that way. Because having like deep love and sexual drive for someone who's dead is really fucking hard and it's really hard to get over. And so that was my way of doing it was to weaponize it like just against myself and it, you know, more or less worked, but it was a deeply uncomfortable thing. And, and the definitely after Emma read it, I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to feel comfortable ish having more people read it. And then I had like Joe Quinnell and Brendan and, you know, a few other of those friends uh, read it and same. It was like, I got some feedback and a few things to, to change here and there, but it was, a lot of the same kind of emotions, a lot of, and not like you're a monster. So it was like, okay. It is easier when strangers like tell me they've read it, you know, just because they, they didn't know her, so they don't have a certain sense of baggage with that, or, you know, they don't have to think about her. Obviously, it's fiction and it's fictionalized, but essentially it's stand ins for us. And my, my sister reads all my stuff. And she really slowly read through that book because it brought up just the whole thing brought up so many emotions because she and Mo were really close. And she got to that story and my dad had read it. He reads all my stuff too. And he had kind of warned her about it. And she was like, I'm not going to read that one. I just trust that it's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and reading that opening scene, I, 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 I would agree with you. It didn't go for exploitative or anything like that. I think it hit grief mixed with de desperation. You know, uh, I think it pulled that off beautifully. And, you know, I won't get ass kissy, but I can't think of another collection that quite feels like this one where it really does capture a, a moment in time because a short story collection isn't the greatest medium for that. You know, like a painting, a photograph, uh, captures a moment. We know we know that because it can be done in a relatively short period of time. But like um, uh, uh, an album of music is created over a longer span of time and a short story collection even longer because typically any story is going to take, you know, hours if you're really fucking committed, days or weeks if not. Um, and it's, it's out of necessity, it's going to span that time. But with such a colossal life event as the death of a spouse you might be in that headspace and i'm not i <laughs> i have this like such I'm, I'm saying it like such a statement like i'm telling you something you don't know but um <laughs> but you know it, it's you're you're living that moment over such a prolonged period of time to be able to capture that in a medium that usually wouldn't be able to capture that is very interesting to me um and well done truth oh. be told thank you yeah it was you know it was something that was more or less born out of necessity i, I think i say in the collection that like uh 
the titular story and uh, we feed this muddy creek were written back to back like day 16 and 17 or day 17 and I think it really spawned like it spanned like three days it was like day 16 and 17 were to wallow and ash the rest of day 17 and day 18 where we feed this muddy creek so those were like raw as fuck you know it was me like if I don't do something with this if I don't put this somewhere I might not survive and uh so it, it really yeah snapshot is kind of right even though it is a more like the whole collection is a more long period of time but it's still you know pretty quick after she died uh, a lot of those stories are written and i don't know how to segue into this besides an awkward so what are you reading <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with you, Sam. Uh, I'm kind of the worst. Uh, I have not been reading very much lately for pleasure. It, it's a thing, like, two years ago I read, like, 100 books or something. And then the past couple of years, I think last year I like literally read, like, 20 books. This year I think I've read eight. And a few of them have been comics. Uh, so right now I'm not really reading much other than stuff related to weird punk and... I have a number of books that I'm going through for blurbs. People had asked me to blurb. So that's kind of what I've been reading. So I, I was fortunate enough to read Leo X. Robertson's short story collection, The Unfortunates, that's coming out relatively soon. Uh, he's a great fucking writer. For people don't know, who don't know him, he does the Losing the Plot podcast as well. He's written several books. Uh, yeah, great, great writer. So he's newer forthcoming short story collection is fantastic uh, and i get to um in the process of reading a mike thorne short story collection as well which is fantastic as well he's a great writer i thought there was another book after that 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 sounds interesting <laughs> <laughs> brennan what are you reading man? i haven't i haven't written i haven't read uh not like superhero comics in a really long time. So like the other thing I've been reading are the Scott Snyder Batman comics. <laughs> nice. <laughs> in terms of, of Leo, I might be mistaken, but I think that book is coming out through Unnerving. Yes. Uh, he's had, uh, I think that's his second this year coming out in the Rewind or Die series, which yeah. is, uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say I have not read any of the 2021 releases, but I was a huge fan of the the first wave in 2020. Oh, when sure. I tried real hard to keep up with them. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am, uh, after after going through To Wallow in Ash, I'm, I'm on something a little bit lighter. I am reading Jaws by Peter Benchley. Oh, which shit. We will be unpacking on the next episode of Unburying the Dead, which should go up on July 1st. And I am reading Dust by Chris Miller because I bought all these Death Heads Press uh <laughs> Splatter Westerns, and I am seriously slacking trying to keep up with them. So there's like 27. Now there's like eight or nine of them, and uh, I'm on number three. So <laughs> someday. And I'm going to get to Christopher Triana's, which is, you know, 750 pages. But. Oh, my God. So for pleasure reading, I'm reading Clive Barker's volume one through three, Books of Blood, for the first time. Um, I have read... Uh, Oh man, it slipped my mind. The one that Hellraiser. Hell yeah, thank you. I read that as a single story. Um, 
but I'm gonna read it again. Excellent little novella, but I'm excited to dive into the collection. And then um, I'm reading James Newman's Ride or Die. So that's uh, I'm about forty percent of that. It's pretty. It's a fun story, but uh, father, that's not very faithful, and the daughter's a little pissed, and her friends are gonna help the daughter avenge. A very angry teenage girl. Avenge, uh, I don't know what. I'm trying to figure it out, but whatever. Some audience. Yeah, you're only 40% in. The other 60% holds all the answers. Yeah, I only got 40% of an answer, so. (laughs) (laughs) Where can people follow you, man? Uh, Twitter and Instagram are both uh, Sammy Totep, T O T E P, all one string. Uh, Facebook. Sam Richard, uh, the Weird Punk website, just weirdpunkbooks.com. You can also follow Weird Punk on Twitter and Instagram, just Weird Punk Books on both of them. Uh, yeah, nothing super, super crazy, all pretty straightforward. Nice. Um, and just a reminder if you want to check out our store, go to deadheadspace.com. Click on the store tab, you can find some merch there. Uh, any final thoughts, sir, Sam? Uh, I don't think so. This was really fucking cool. Uh, so thank you for having me on. I know you've been very busy and been interviewing a lot of guests. Uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to little old me. <laughs> little old you, dude. You're doing a lot of fun stuff. You're an interesting person to talk to. Yeah, Sam, you are our favorite kind of guest. We give you a question, and you talk for a long time. And it's, you know, it's it's all gold. It's really good stuff. So, <laughs> truth be told, you know, I, I had a couple questions left over, so that seems like as good an excuse as any to uh, get you on for next year. See sure. what Weird Punk's up to then. Yeah, I would love that. Maybe I'll actually have some other standalone releases by then. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool, man. Contract will be signed by then. You can at least yeah. talk about them. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Um, Brennan, any final thoughts? No, I just gave them. Well, I no, but I didn't know if yet. <laughs> okay. Well, you kind of like threw me off because usually <laughs> I ask. And then, sorry. Where the hell is my brain at? So it doesn't revolve around you, Patrick. Oh man, that's okay. Uh, my final thoughts are that I had fun, Sam, and I really enjoy what you got going on, man. And it's a pleasure and a treat to call you a friend and to call you a uh, now a guest. And you're obviously welcome here anytime you'd like, sir. Thank you. Very much agreed. It's been really cool, like getting to know both of you. You know, just generally lately through the writing group and our little Twitter, you know, group friend group thing. It's been fucking awesome, and I very much appreciate both of you. You're stellar human beings. Thanks, man. Yeah, I love it. Our group group is us three, Eric Raglin and uh, Nico Bell, and that's a that's a fun group to be in. Um, the next episode, so this will be up the twenty first. The next one will be James Newman, episode ninety eight. We are two away from one hundred, which will be with Joe R. Lansdale. Stick around to hear all the fucks that Joe doesn't give. <laughs> I, Joe Lansdale, like obviously, is one of the greatest writers of all time. Yeah. Uh, when the first killer con that I went to, which was I think 2018, he was talking. He did a reading and or no, it was at a panel. Panel. He was doing a panel. Somebody asked a question. I don't remember what the fucking question was, but one of the things he said, and it honestly, a little bit going back to talking about uh, death like love, he said, "Write like everyone you know is dead." 
And that is the greatest yeah. writing advice if you're ever struggling with like, oh, this is a lot. Can I? This story is fucked up and hard to process. <laughs> Write like everyone you know is dead. He also, I mean, not quite as sage, but he also said on Twitter today that not enough writers use goddammit in their stories. So <laughs> newer writers, experienced writers, any writers who are listening to this show, use more goddammits because that's what Lansdale says. <laughs> Lansdale Law number 39. Um, <laughs> thank you for joining us, Sam. And thank you, Brennan, for being my co-host again. Man, I love it. This is a fun show. Um, listeners, you have many podcast to choose. Thank you for picking us. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.